Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. We have arrived at our next installment in our Make Disciples podcast series, where we are covering what a disciple is, who we are in Christ, and what are the characteristics of a follower of our King. Today, we are discussing the characteristic that disciples suffer. Like always, we have Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, a pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And what a treat! We are joined today by Emmanuel Sutsas. Emmanuel is a pastor and church planter from Athens, Greece. He pastors the newly planted Evangelical Church of Pangradi in one of the most modern or postmodern neighborhoods in the city of Athens. He is married to his wife, Bethany, for five years and has a bachelor's degree in nursing uh, as well as a bachelor's degree in theology and is co- currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Religion through Westminster He has a long experience working in full-time humanitarian and evangelistic ministries in Tanzania and Greece, and he had an especially formative time working with the refugees from the Middle East during the huge humanitarian crisis of 2015 to 2017. So right now, he works as a full-time pastor for the Greek Evangelical Church denomination, and he's also the director of the denomination's summer teen camps. Emmanuel, that was a mouthful. Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast. It's good to be with you guys. Thank you for inviting me and having me over. Okay, well, so we're, after I, you, Michael. Yeah, I was just going to say we're so excited that you're joining us. And Andrew, I've just been amazed at the the voice of uh, the people that we've had on over the past several weeks. And, and Emmanuel, thank you for contributing to that. We've had Europeans, Australians, Canadians, Americans, and and discipleship, we know, is such a, an important topic for the church in the West. And uh, it just has been a joy to have so many people on speaking into that uh, with us. And Emmanuel, we're looking forward to this topic with you today because— uh, it's something I know that's close to your heart. And I didn't know you had uh, uh, your undergraduate degree in nursing. Uh, and that's that's exciting. And that tells us something about your heart as well and your care for people. And it just reminded me, I'm trying to get to it at, at right now, but uh, the, the whole idea of nursing was a uh, characteristic that we find in the epistle, the letter of Barnabas. Have you read that? that, that it, when he yeah. talks about God, he talks about God as a nurse. And mm-hmm. uh, I just mm-hmm. love that description of him. So how has, uh, Emmanuel, um, you, are, you are no longer a nurse. You, you did that. Um, so how have you seen it show up? Uh, I don't want to say in your everyday life, because I don't really think you're you know bringing needles and sutures you know you're not you're not really caring for people on the field as you did at one time um but how have you seen that impact even your ministry as a pastor well first of all let me start by saying it serving as a nurse actually was a season that god um worked certain things in my heart and in my in my life um where 
where I could learn. Uh, it was a time that I could learn how to care for people for their practical needs and actually see behind their actual issue. You know, there's always the sickness and there's the sickness behind the sickness, which has a, a very big spiritual uh, side to it. If you think about, you know, being a pastor and dealing with the sin behind the sin um, or figuring out why we suffer, you know, uh, behind the actual symptoms. So serving as a nurse, it was a season that I never I never thought I would ever be a pastor. I never thought I would plant a church. And, um, but in that season, God used all those experiences to show that um, there's a deeper sickness that he wants to deal with in people and deal with uh, in me, obviously. So now that I am in this position and I get to work with people, not only for their physical health, but even more so for their spiritual health, um, I get to, um, I get to have the joy of figuring out what is it behind what we're actually dealing with. You know, um, like I, I, I work with young people, so I work with a lot of college students. So they're dealing with loneliness, with, uh, uh addictions, with different things. And having been a nurse, you know, I, I'm able to. I have the framework to think that, you know, what we're dealing with, maybe there's something deeper or it's rooted in something else that you weren't even thinking about. So um, so it's given me the framework to think in some ways. And I think it's also the heart that God has given me by his grace to be able to really care for people sometimes more than I care about myself. You know, my wife says so <laughs> mm. for better, or for worse. We'll save that that uh, time on the couch with your counselor for later. Uh, that's not why we have had you on. Uh, so we did bring you on to talk about this idea that disciples suffer. And uh, from from the outset, um, suffering exists. If you suffer, it doesn't make you a Christian, because I think what's very clear is that everyone suffers. The, the suffering is is a part and parcel with life in this broken world. Um, Emmanuel, as I, I read through your bio, you spent time with, with the humanitarian crisis. There were people escaping terrors uh, that were trying to flee to Greece to just get away from everything, and you saw suffering up close. Just because all those people suffered did not make them automatically Christian. So, Michael, I want to kick it to you. What is that differentiation we want to talk about between just people suffer and disciples suffer. Mm, well, you know what? This is such a difficult topic because I, I think, especially in the West, we have the penchant to um, uh, make ourselves victims uh, so often, whether it's in the political realm or social realm or or, or whatever realm, economic realm. We tend to think, well, people are against us or, or they're saying things to us that are in response to these different situations. And uh, certainly, I mean, Christians do suffer uh, in those areas. But what I think makes Christian suffering so unique in the New Testament, and then as we think about the, the church being persecuted today around the world, is that the suffering that they experienced was because of their proclamation of the gospel. And, uh, and I think that's so important for us to get our heads around 
especially as we come to passages like in First Peter that talk so much about suffering, or or we look at the Book of Revelation, which dealing which is dealing with the suffering churches in Asia Minor, um, and and we tend to interpret those sufferings in terms of the way in which we feel like we might be suffering today, which is right. far different from the way in which the early Christians were suffering in regards to the persecution they were experiencing and, and so on. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that um, kind of gets under my skin a little bit <laughs> as I hear uh, people in the West talk about how, you know, challenging it is for us to get up on Sunday morning to clothe our children and, you know, go to church. And, and then I think, gosh, you know, I was just with a group of refugees in, in uh, South Asia who literally experienced suffering because they were proclaiming the gospel. And just the difference in that perspective, um, I, I think, is important for us to, to understand. Emmanuel, what, is, what have you seen in your context? Um, Athens, Greece is, is not entirely the West, but it's the start of the West. So there are so many different things uh, that you all experience culturally. Um, how have you seen Christians um, actually suffer because of their faith uh, there in Greece? Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to clarify this. When we say, when we talk about Greece, many people, because it's the beginning of the West, you mm -hmm. know, the, where the East meets the West, a lot of people think of Greece as a Christian nation. Well, Paul brought the gospel here. Uh, and it was know, all rosy since then. It, it was. It's been rosy since. <laughs> um, so we are on paper Christian Eastern Greek Orthodox nation. So everybody thinks that we are a Christian nation. Well, in fact, that we know of, there's only 0.2% um, believers of the population, 0.2% of the population are born again believers. So we, we're talking about a, a Christian, culturally Christian uh, place, but not necessarily a place that knows about the gospel or, or lives out the gospel or, um, experiences the gospel. So um, so the interesting thing about this context is that um, suffering doesn't only come from non-Christians, at least people that are against the faith, people that are against Christianity, but um, persecution and social pressures also come from uh, other, other um, institutional churches that um, have the political power and the social power to uh, influence things and to um, to influence even the government against you or the community. So in this context, first of all, um, I grew up in a context where I heard stories of evangelicals and born-again believers not only being persecuted, but also uh, not being able to to live by in many ways. So, for example, up until a couple decades ago, our IDs had uh, your religion, whether you're Greek Orthodox or anything else, you know, especially if you're evangelical, in people's eyes, being a heretic uh, 
that meant that um, whenever you gave your ID for a transaction uh, of some sort, you wanted to get a job or you wanted to uh, rent or purchase a house, a lot of people would turn you down. And in fact, they uh, we have in our recent history, and by recent, I mean in the last century, where evangelicals have been persecuted for their faith to the point that churches have been burned, uh, they've been kicked out of villages, beaten up, and whatnot. And not just in, in smaller villages, but even in the cities. So I grew up in this context. I grew up hearing about these stories. And uh, the sad thing is that a lot of people grew up feeling that, um, well, Christianity, all it means is to suffer. And and although suffering is part of Christianity, and maybe we can, I can expound on this uh, maybe later, but um, it's not the only part of suffering. Um, a lot of people here in this context uh, are still alive, um, older people that cannot get jobs, cannot get homes. Now, in my generation, although this, there has been a social shift and a cultural change, uh, it's still very hard um, working with Greeks, working especially with traditional Greeks, because immediately in their eyes, uh, you're a heretic. You're not Can you explain Orthodox. that, like for for those of us who are in the American mm -hmm. West, how how would somebody who claims Christ view somebody else who claims Christ as a heretic? Yeah, so uh, for many reasons, that would take up a whole other podcast to explain <laughs> the history of why we're here. Uh, but uh, for many different historical uh, reasons. And political reasons, uh, the Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church is in power um, and has a lot of social and political power, which um, means that for a long time, um, it not only influenced both positively and negatively the, the society, the culture, but to be born in this context, to be born a Greek, it meant that you were also an Orthodox and vice versa. Greek means Greek Orthodox. Greek Orthodox means uh, Greek. An example, up until, again, a couple of decades ago, uh, if you were an immigrant or a refugee coming into Greece and wanted to get paperwork uh, and you wanted to become a citizen, if you came from a non-Christian, at least on paper, nation, you had to be baptized into the Orthodox Church and to be given a Greek Orthodox name. And up until oh, wow. now, anyone non-Orthodox, whether Muslim or even Christian from another denomination, if you want to be married to an Orthodox, into an Orthodox Church, you have to uh, be baptized and basically denounce your uh, your other background. It's very interesting. Mm. Um, and th so, that's the history of Europe, though, isn't it? I mean, the idea of the formation of nations in Europe is very different from the United States, which really is a nation of immigrants. Right. And, uh, but in, in Europe, it, it was very much tied to not only your ethnic background, but your religious background as well. And now that um, you know, France and the United States have more of a liberal democracy that's kind of bleeding into other European countries where, you know, there's now an openness to 
others who are not ethnically Greek or German or, you know, whatever, coming in to be a part of the citizenry of, of a country. Indeed. And now we see that shift in the younger generation. Um, but the older generation still sees us that this way um, as heretics because yeah. we're not orthodox. But the younger generation and uh, this whole conversation obviously has to do with this reality has to do with suffering. Uh, why? Because the younger generation now not only shifts and is built, is definitely more open to hearing other voices and to be accepting of other voices. But because we're Christians, because we are bringing certain ideas and values and beliefs to the table and into society, to them, we might not be religious heretics, but we are, uh, we're social heretics in some ways, um, as we say. So we're kind of in the middle and there's pressure from both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and because, you know, in this country, we're not a majority to be a believer, to be a Christian is not a majority. You can't go out on the street and say, well, can I pray for you? Or do you know Jesus Christ? You can't, you know, there's no context to have these conversations. Then to everybody, when you are talking about faith, when you're talking about Jesus Christ, when you're talking about even the social pressures and the persecutions that you are experiencing as a Christian, uh, to them, you sound like an alien. They don't, nobody can get it. Um, which creates a very interesting environment. Why? Because uh, on one hand, it's very challenging and and um, there's a lot of ways it plays out. But on the other hand, it gives us a lot of opportunities to actually um, find Christ in the pressures and suffering. Um, with yeah, I work with younger people. The first reaction is, oh, you're a Christian? How can you... You know, how can you have several degrees and be an educated, intelligent person, but uh, believe in such uh, dumb ideas, you know, such old school ideas? And people shut you down immediately. They don't even accept help. They don't even accept a relationship at times just because of that. Um, You have the older generation that still at times, if they're very devout, culturally devout Orthodox, they'd call the police on you for gathering for a a church Mm. gathering. Unless you have permits as a church, then you can be in trouble. Mm. Uh, And Mm. we live in a, in a modern, uh, highly Western influenced culture and country. Very interesting. It, It kind of parallels Jesus's experience, doesn't it? In the first century where he came into a very religious context uh, that, that believed in God. They had a deep commitment and a long history of that belief and traditions that surrounded it. And yet when he came, uh, uh, you know, uh, to preaching the kingdom of God and repentance, he was rejected. And that, I mean, it sounds very much like what you're describing in the Greece, Greek context. And so there's something I'm hearing between, between both of you. So there is the reality that, um, I think what we're seeing is that disciples are suffering, right? So uh, there's a difference between, uh, at least the way, Michael, that you've phrased it, it's just the reality that disciples suffer. And when we're looking at these contexts, Emmanuel, you're talking about there is the uh, the religious suffering from the older generation. There's the social suffering, right? There's a, you're kind of too Christian for one side, and you're too pagan for the other, and you're just outright rejected. Um, 
But that seems like it's okay. Well, that's what's happening in your context. And, and Michael, the idea that you're putting forth in the book and, and referencing First Peter and also Second Peter and so many other parts of Scripture, it's the reality that if you are a Christian, you should expect to suffer. This should be absolutely underlying your faith that your faith has to do with suffering. Full stop. It's not just because of where you live in Europe. It's not just because of of the uh, uh, the political climate at that moment. Instead, it's this is the reality that you are going to experience. Michael, why do you argue both in your book, but how have you seen in your ministry, this is going to be what you do. To follow Jesus means that you are going to suffer. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, it, it, yes. It, uh, the scripture <laughs> seems clear on that, doesn't it? Um, but in Peter's case, when he's talking, well, and the context is so important because first century Christianity, I mean, it was new. Followers of Christ were doing something different. And uh, in many cases, it was being rejected by the establishment uh, of the first century. And so there, there was inherently in that context uh, the, the suffering going on. It, Peter's concern for those who are suffering for the Christians is to suffer for the right reasons, to suffer for doing good. And, uh, and that, I think, is, is what is most challenging for us today. Yeah, yes, we're going to suffer in some form, sometimes you know, it's afflictions with health, it's afflictions with finances, it might be family afflictions. Um, it, when we talk about in the West, in some cases, like in Greece, uh, even in the context where we live for uh, 10 years in Romania, that very similar, uh, the evangelicals were persecuted, beaten, uh, uh, and, and run out of their communities by the Romanian Orthodox Um and, uh, and and so that kind of suffering does continue to occur in Western contexts. But I think what I'm trying to drive home in in the little chapter that I write is that you know why why do we suffer? What are the good reasons for suffering? And Peter kind of outlines those. And I think that's so important for us not to mix up you know our momentary light afflictions uh, with these these things that we're supposed to be suffering for, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes sense. And I think I appreciate the the rejoinder that you, you're going to suffer, but let it be because you were doing good. Uh, don't, don't, you know, don't suffer just because you were being a knucklehead. Um, be because you were focused on, let it be because you were focused on the cross. Let it be because mm -hmm. you are focused on letting other people um, see his goodness through y'all. Um, Emmanuel, how have you, how have you worked with your church? You know, the growing church, both the, the one that sent you as, the, as well as the one that you are currently planting and pastoring. How have you talk to the church about suffering and, and what role that has in their faith. Yeah. Well, we, we indeed suffer because of, of the fact that we are made new in Christ. Right. And, and that means new way of thinking, new way of living, new way of, of choosing life. 
and how to do life. And, um, and so, so what I, what we talk about a lot and, um, I try to walk through with our church is that suffering, although painful, um, in whatever capacity it is crucial in our, our walk with the Lord and crucial in the sense that it creates character. It creates endurance as we read, um, it creates, you know, um, just patience and it creates a, an opportunity for us to enjoy, uh, to glorify and be satisfied and enjoy Christ. Right. So, um, so in generally, like generally I talk about these two things that there is a personal benefit to suffering, if I'm allowed to say benefit. Uh, and that is that, um, it builds faith. And why does it build faith? Because it, first of all, strips you off of the things that are momentary and uh, will be uh, passing away soon. Uh, and it actually can help you focus on Christ. Number two, and most important, is that, um, yeah, in that thirst you feel when you suffer, because, you know, that's mm. the the image we have in many, uh, even in Psalms, like that that thirst that we have. Um, that thirst can be satisfied really and truly and deeply in Christ. Mm. And, and that is an opportunity when you're suffering, when you feel like you don't have what you need um, to, to go on, then Christ can be the living water, can be the bread of life that will give you what you need, you know, and you enjoy that deep relationship with, with him uh, in the course of suffering. And that as a result, build character, builds you uh, into this new human, this new being that you are being remade, you know, you're being remade new. Um, uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's holiness, like you're, you're pursuing, or you're growing in your sanctification during uh, these times. So that's the personal. And then I like to talk about the more external or the more um, less focus on myself, what's happening, which is very important, but also what God does through my suffering, which is a great, um, if I'm allowed to say evangelistic tool, right? Mm -hmm. That, uh, people, people look at us, people look at your life. They see how you're dealing with suffering, how you're trusting God, um, how you're just one of my favorite things, how you rejoice in suffering. That doesn't mean that you're happy and all you know excited about what you're going through but the fact that you are hanging on to christ and to what he's done and and that i believe how the gospel and how christ engages with suffering through in my life is one of the greatest testimonies you can mm -hmm. have one of the greatest evangelistic tools and at the end of the day you know christ suffered the ultimate suffering right. uh, for us, right? And in our place, uh, he suffered on the cross. He took all, up all of our sins. So, so when we communicate, when we're dealing with suffering in our church and the broader church culture here, uh, one of the things I would like to, I'd like to talk about, and one of the things we engage in is that that it has a personal effect. But then God uses that. Uh, deeply in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great tool.
I love the fact that you are talking about how suffering reorients us to Christ. Yeah. And uh, it's so important for us to be anchored there in, in, uh, in these times of affliction. It seems like it's, I, I so desperately appreciated everything that you were saying, that Christ-focused nature, that who we are is being remade. It is of personal benefit. It is a benefit of his kingdom. He is using us. And the way that you are putting it, the way that you have phrased it, Emmanuel, is driving us to Christ and suffering is going to be the means that Christ is using to make us more like him, as opposed to at least again, again, we're going to speak in that Western American context. So many people who just are like, oh, I got to suffer today. Thank you, Jesus. And it was like, you just caught three red lights. Like that's not suffering or, or, <laughs> or people who go out of their way to essentially be complete. I'm trying to not call people names. So they are not being really good representatives of Jesus. Instead, they are being nuisances. And when somebody actually responds to them being a nuisance in other people's presence because of what they are shouting out loud or or how they are bothering them with their insistence that other people listen to them. And then when they get kicked out, they were like, we were kicked out for Jesus. We're suffering for Jesus. And it's like, no, you were suffering for yourself. This was about you. This was about you going out and trying to make yourself look good or make yourself look holy instead of yeah. allowing Jesus to make you holy. <laughs> and instead mm-hmm. of standing up for his name quietly, day in, day out, staying focused on your king and bringing his goodness of the kingdom everywhere. That's that's very different. That's very different. And so I am so thankful, Emmanuel, that in, in this part of the conversation, we have re- refocused it on Christ. Mm-hmm. I One of my favorite phrases, I was just looking to find it here in English, one of my favorite responses of Jesus. Uh, so I got this opportunity last February to go to um, Israel with my wife, and uh, we went on a spiritual retreat. And it was basically just going to certain places that um, were important and just opening the Bible, uh, reading, praying, and, and worshiping Jesus with um, a group of other pastors and, and uh, people that are truly suffering around the world for the sake of the gospel. And um, I was there at the, uh, at the garden where Jesus, um, where we, we, believe around the garden where Jesus, you know, had those moments of praying. And one of my favorite verses, it's his response or his response to the suffering that's coming. He knows what's coming. And he says, you know, that he's prayed. He, um, he says that the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak again for the second time. This is Uh, Matthew 26, verse 42, uh, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Mm. Uh, That last, your will be done. Now, this is Jesus Christ we're talking about. This is Mm -hmm. the God of the creator of the universe. Mm -hmm. He turns to his father and says, your will be done. Um, How can our response be any less 
than that. When, you know, the God of the universe did suffer, did hang on a cross for my sake, spend time in the grave for my sake. And he did not deserve it. I deserved it. Mm. And he says, your will be done, Father, for whose sake? For our sake. You know, how can our response be any less than that? Wow. It can be, and it should be <laughs> that way, but it yeah. doesn't. It's not always that way because our flesh is indeed weak. And um, yeah. Mm, that's good. Man. Uh, are there final pieces of advice that either you, Michael, or you, Emmanuel, have uh, for Christians who are, uh, gosh, I don't mean to make it gruesome, looking down the barrel of suffering? Um, do you have uh, any words of wisdom uh, for those who are either experiencing suffering or for those who are worried that it is coming? I've stumped you both. <laughs> Go ahead, doctor. Well, uh, again, I, I mean, we're rehashing this. I, I think the idea that Peter is getting across is, you know, we suffer for doing good. And he gives a beautiful mm -hmm. list of what that looks like, uh, being unified uh, in mind with one another, being sympathetic to others, not speaking evil you know, those those things that um, kind of mark us as characteristics of being a disciple. Um, but also to to realize, and I loved so much, Emmanuel, what you said, that suffering reorients us to Christ and it and it and it's a part of our witness. And and I think Second uh, Corinthians one, Paul talking about how our afflictions, we bring those in in uh, mm -hmm. And we bear those so that we can help others. And, and so to to reorient ourselves mm -hmm. to Christ, who is going to build our character, and to reorient ourselves to others, I think is important part of what it means for a, a Christian to, to suffer. Mm. That's yeah. great. Emmanuel, any bonus content? Yeah, I, I think, I think the church... Many times, you know, especially in the Western influenced and Western context, you know, it's my Jesus and myself, you know, my Jesus and I. Um, but the the church is so important. The body of Christ is so important. Um, the, you know, not just unity for the sake of unity, but practical unity, you know, just uh, spending time with one another, finding not only joy, but finding the love that Christ offers us through his body, through the other believers, finding um, support and help. And, uh, and obviously in serving in serving, you can, uh, you know, although we're suffering and when we're suffering, serving others is a great opportunity to, um, to enjoy Christ. And, and even more on a personal level, I've been practicing a lot and it's changed my life, practicing a lot, um, praying through scripture and meditating uh, on scripture, mm -hmm. uh, just spending time to, to see Jesus in the scripture and to, to let him speak to me and speak to me, not only through the Bible, but also through my other fellow believers that are also suffering. So, so church and the word, you know. Hmm. Seems like Amen. such a new concept. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Emmanuel, for being with us on the Ephesiology Podcast. If people uh, have been encouraged by your words and they want to connect with you and what you are doing after they listen, how can they follow uh, what God is doing in and through y'all in Athens? Yeah, maybe uh, I can also send you those links. Uh, but uh, we, uh, if you Google the Pangrati Project, uh, the Pangrati Project, I can uh, type it out and send it to you. That's where we post everything that we do. And or you can send me an email and I can just uh, add you on our newsletter list. But um, yeah, we we try to use social media. Uh, I am the worst at it, but thankfully God has brought people around around us to help us with it. Uh, where we post what God is doing, you can be uh, engaged with uh, with what's happening through prayer, through just, you know, you can always visit us if you would like. Yeah. Um, and I know this might be slightly dangerous to say it on a podcast, you know, but <laughs> uh, just publicly. But no, all jokes aside, uh, we love having people from around the world that God can use uh, to encourage us and to work with us even for a short season, like Andrew has and his family and his church uh, to come and walk with us and what God is doing here in Athens. It is it is so awesome. So we will link uh, an email address as well as some websites in our show notes. Uh, you all can follow those and keep up with what is going on in the Pangarati Project and in the Pangarati Church. And I promise you, if you see a post and it's all in Greek, there's usually like a translation button. So just just hit the translation button and then you can see what wonderful things are happening. Uh, You don't have to feel, I can't read that. It's okay, it's okay. Our newsletters are in English though, so. So there you go. So it's all it's all bonus content. It's all good. It's all good. Well, thank you, Emmanuel, for being with us. And we want to thank you. Thank you, our listener, for joining us in this Make Disciples podcast series. If this is your first podcast in the series or you're interested in finding out more of our Ephesiology podcast content, go online at ephesiology.com or simply scroll back in our podcast feed. Click on any of the topics that interest you. Lastly, please go to the resources available at masterclasses.ephesiology.com. I promise it's going to be a benefit to you. So, from Michael, Emmanuel, and myself, thank you for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.